Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome back to the Codex West podcast. I am Jacob Lively, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Mark Quivolo. What's up? And Johnny Paglino. Hey. <laughs> uh, how, how are you guys? Have a good weekend. Yeah, pretty yeah, good weekend. You know, I watched watched a bunch of movies. I drank some Jameson. It was it was a good weekend. <laughs> nice. I think everybody's feeling better now. It's less oh less my, coughing. Oh my god! I I only am in. I'm only feeling better today. An entire two weeks of being yeah, dude, just this, like at death's door. And it's the two week winter funk. Yeah, dude, ridiculous. But I'm back. Yep, I th- I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty good too. Johnny, I can hear it, you? dude. Your voice sounds great. <laughs> I'm fine. I took antibiotics for a day for my bronchitis, but then I realized I didn't want to do any more antibiotics because who want who? I'm not trying to contribute to uh, the, the superbug. Yeah, exactly. you know what I mean. Sure, yeah. Johnny, <laughs> Johnny the anti-vaxer. <laughs> what, yeah, what, what the doctors don't want you to know is that turmeric cures cancer. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so <laughs> today we're going to be talking about the new Destroyer album, Kin, that just came out like this week. Um, we're all, I think we're all, safe to say we're all big Destroyer fans, so this was kind of exciting. I actually didn't know that this was being released until Johnny pointed it out and is like, hey, we should probably do this on the podcast. And I was like, hey, I'm excited that this is even happening. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even know. Uh, so yeah, how, how do you guys want to start this off? Um, Johnny, do you want to you go for it? I can go for it because um, so this comes after Kaput and Poison Season. Um, those albums were made without a producer, but this was the first time, I guess, in a while that Dan Behar decided to work with a producer. Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. So, like, you can kind of usually if you like work with um, a producer, it makes sense to kind of write your songs on guitar first. Or on write them acoustically. You're not gonna really find them so much in a producer situation because you have someone that it's sort of the producers trying to find the song already. You already mm-hmm. kind of like um, distri- you're kind of like uh, divvying out the manpower. Yeah, I mean that's also the, like the point of a producer, right? It's it, like right. in many ways yeah. that's like you know that's why a producer is different than an engineer. You know what I mean? Like in the sense totally. that they're not yeah. just standing behind the board; they're there to like. Like they're like a second creative mind working on the overall concept, the oeuvre of the record. Right, the oeuvre. <laughs> you know how to spell but, oeuvre. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. So that's uh, I think so. He wrote this on guitar, this record, and I think there's some ways that you can kind of pick that out. Um, but then there's other ways that it does. That's almost not important at all because, um. This was an attempt to really be a gothic record. Yeah, I was gonna say um, this. I think it was less like uh, he wrote this song with, or he wrote this album with a guitar, and more like he wrote this album with the Cure's entire discography. Uh, that's yeah, so funny. Yeah, that's actually yeah. true. Yeah, that comes through. Well, because he said that when he was writing it, he was listening to Disintegration, he was listening to the Church, he was listening to these '80s new mm. wave UK bands. Yeah, and so, okay, so. Destroyer is not from New York, from Vancouver, but I think it would be hard not to say that they're not like a New York band, or they're not like they're not like cultivating a New York rock style, like an sure. aesthetic. Yeah, a New York. Aesthetic, yeah, right. I mean, we like there's our, like so much of of you know previous materials been about like Times Square, Chinatown, and then you'll have like the saxophones that are you know in reverb that are supposed to feel like a uh, a pulpy 
detective soundtrack yeah. which would like exist in like you know the dreary city um mm. that's also kind of like reminiscent of uh greenwich village jazz in the 60s and 70s um so it's hard like the the combination of the sounds plus with his like really like creaky uh like swampy new york voice um yeah. you know like it doesn't feel like he, there's not like there's nothing typically canadian yeah, about well, actually, you know, what's actually funny is that like when you bring up the voice what's nuts is that when you listen to the record dude his voice is way up front right yes it takes right. up it takes up so much of the sonic space you know like 40 percent of the sonic space is just taken up by these like full spectrum mixes of his voice and i mean that's like that that does remind me of you know things like New Order and like that kind of eighties music specifically, right? Uh-huh. Um, and yeah. so I think that that's I think that's an interesting uh, point to be made, right? Right. Yeah. Um. So there's this moment I think that's happening with like typical New York bands. Um, I'm thinking about the Nationals' recent record, where these bands that are like known to be sort of indicative of a New York sound are sort of really uh, trying to go European in a way, or they're bringing in European sounds. So like the national, this, this record was like more anthemic than it usually is. Um, there's lots of like Euro pop references going on, even so much one of the songs that they like, um, they do this recording of, uh, Carl Rove, something that was a, a quote attributed to Carl Rove. Mm-hmm. And so I think it was Pitchfork or some, someone ridiculous. They reached out to try and get a comment from Carl Rove <laughs> about the song. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> and even he was like, yeah, this just sounds like true to like Euro pop trash that no one's going to listen uh, to anymore, so which was like, yeah. Wait, <laughs> Carl like, Rove Robert, said that? Carl Rove said, said that. Said that yeah. about the national. Yeah, about That's this one song. That's hysterical. Why did he respond? He could have just said no comment. <laughs> yeah, why did, <laughs> yeah, why did he have to take a dig at like the, being like, this is derivative trash, you know what I mean? Like, And no points will be awarded to you. <laughs> but it's kind of what I feel about that record, too. <laughs> you got, you I, kind of I agree with Carl Rose on his kind assessment. Of, I kind of get where <laughs> Carl's coming from. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, so I think, like, the National and, like, their um, ambitions of being, like, an international U2-sized band of, you know, that kind of uh, cultural import Mm -hmm. um, is moving across their borders. I don't think that is the reason why Destroyer is looking to the UK or in some places even, like, um, Switzerland. He talks about a lot on this record. Really? Um, Yeah, but there's, like, there's a sense in which, like... um, there's at least something there that's trying to be mined. There's like a, it, it's sort of an evolution of a New York sound, I guess, mm-hmm. in that way. Um, and you can see him also incorporating other sounds. Like you, you will have the Cure kind of chorus guitar, most notably on that one Tinseltown song. Yeah, for sure. Uh, oh, that's um, beautiful. But um, there's, you know, like I would say LCD sound system sort of also encapsulates like the uh the fat synth sounds very of much new so, york yeah. as well and a lot of that's happening here too you get these like monophonic fat bass well, there's sounds also and sometimes yeah. in the world has that um yeah what were you gonna say oh i was gonna say that that's actually one of the things i was thinking while i was listening to this record was that it reminded me of almost like 
a deconstructionist take on that LCD New York sound, which is also the thing is when we're talking about, you know, if you're trying to like, uh, you know, create a genre out of, out of this kind of music, right. It really is. I mean, LCD, it comes through the most is like ultra Euro influenced. Right. And I think that when you listen to this record, when you listen to this, uh, the destroyer record, you, the way that the synths work, as you were saying, I think, are uh, I think tie in to that same genre, but this is a little bit more abstracted, right? I think that this is like um, almost like a reflection of that in a certain way, um, and so I think that you're definitely onto something in the idea that like you can put Destroyer into like a group of artists um, developing in you know developing their sound in New York over this particular time, you know, the last like decade, decade and a half, right? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I would, it's so funny. I saw LCD sound system on Wednesday and, uh, all I could stop, I couldn't stop thinking of the fact that it was so much like the talking heads and you and I have had the same conversation about how, like, if you listen to a lot of this modern indie, there's a lot of reference to kind of the talking heads and that art new wave of the early eighties, right? There's so much of that going on. And I mean, the, where I get that the most is like, whenever you hear a singer, like really make their voice goofy or do something like really like that's just it almost sounds funny right like when you listen to skies gray you know that jacob and i both love the um uh, working on the new olive new twist, olive twist. I mean, yeah i've been working on the new olive a twist that reminded me so much of david byrne in like a really good yeah. way oh, i didn't yeah, think that that absolutely, was absolutely right and i didn't think that that was like i didn't think that it was like a, a poor imitation or something like that. No, it really it felt like, like it was well, part of that genre, his right? Vocal style too. You know, it's just totally. like I think it's, like, it's right, becoming it's more right. apparent. Yeah, yeah. Like I don't think that's anything totally new that he's doing, but it is probably. I mean, they're the whole his whole style. So I didn't is, listen to. Yeah. I haven't listened to Destroyer in a while. So that's the other thing. Like this was the first time I've listened to, to Destroyer in like a couple of years, right? Because uh, I don't think I heard the last record, which was Poison Season, right? Um, I think I, I heard I heard Kaput and whatever the whatever the other one Ruby or something like that. Those are the two records that I knew Destroyers really well. Rubies. Yeah, exactly. Um, those were those were the ones that I knew the best. But so when I heard this, I actually found it so refreshing because I um, I often listen to so much electronic music mainly because electronic music changes so quickly that it always remains interesting and fresh to me. Like, because there's, like, next tomorrow, some electronic record's going to come out that sounds very different than something that you could have even heard, like, a year ago, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and indie music, I feel, can sometimes, like, hit, uh, like, it hits a, um, like, is, you know, a point at which there's, like, not as much innovation going on. And it's like, you know, the whole 60s songwriting fad has been going on for 20 years now, and I'm kind of, like, over it, right? This Destroyer record, however really really felt different to me and i think that like i um you know when i'm ref- where this comes back to is like the way that he kind of goofs up his voice like that and i know that he did that in the past but there was something so fun and like giggly about this record to me on that front like just kind of the goofball nature of it that reminds me a lot of early 80s art new wave and of david byrne in particular yeah oh totally yeah um i want to talk about what you were because it's funny that you think this was like i so yes, um, songwriting itself, uh, and when it comes to like uh, where the singer himself is a character, mm-hmm. and uh, basically just pop—I I guess you call it pop music—but basically like vocally present, um, poetic, 
lyrically, uh, songwriting has been happening for a long time. For sure. But what makes it fresh generally is not, you know, sometimes the sounds can get there, but um, once you've, like, developed a sound that you like, usually it's, like, a time to really work on your lyrics and what you're trying to say. Totally. Yeah, Destroyer definitely figured out his sound at this point. Yeah, the sound's done. This is why it bothered me in his interviews when he was talking about how he spent literally zero time on his lyrics because he was just like, yeah, I would just come with a phrase I liked and then... (laughs) That would be it. Really? And so, you know, yeah, so, you know, you could still, re- you know, people. He's got the like, whole, like, write... inscrutable Steely Dan kind of vibe where, like, you the, the <laughs> lyrics are, like, um, there's just enough meaningful referent to grab onto and, like, maybe try to figure something out. Totally, right. Yeah, when I, I mean, was reading the know, lyrics, happened... they did really seem like, I could I was like, is this about the same thing? Is this about one thing? Is this about nothing? You know what I mean? It was, it was kind of. Oh, funny. yeah. Well, I think, you know, when you're, um, when you write a song, usually work a lot like if you're writing a melody or something um a lot of times you're just using placeholder words yeah and sometimes those placeholder words you'll actually keep because for whatever reason like whatever you were really thinking about whatever mood you were in those words still describe it even if you didn't like really sit down and meditate over it. absolutely like every time i write a song if like i'll just play it on my iphone just completely making up words and like without fail one or two of the lines i randomly sing i'll just keep in because it helps me direct where apparently that's what I was feeling the song, the direction mm-hmm. should go in. Totally. But I think it's pretty obvious in a lot of places here, he's just completely ad-libbing everything. For or sure. like he spent, it's just literally like, oh, these words sounded cool. I will say with that Sky's Gray song, yeah, the way we're talking about like uh, New York and city sounds when he's, you know, working on the new Oliver Twist, like <laughs> <they're>, <laughs> I, think, so I think in a way it's that's so like... <laughs> You know, he's probably thinking he is in a way, but <laughs> I don't know where that line comes from. Unless no, you're really I know. You know what's about, so funny? Like, because thieves it, and criminals and like, uh, like a British sensibility. I thought it was. I, I thought like it yeah. self-effacing because yeah. the line that immediately follows is him repeating the refrain "skies." So it's like this sort of dreary city vibe. Is like I'm working on the new Oliver Twist. The sky is yeah. gray. That's all I have to say. Like that's, yeah. that's <laughs> the really amount funny. of substance that's there. I read. I, I mean, this is also just where my head is always at recently. But like, I read so much politics into that. Actually, like I'm working on the new Oliver Twist. I took his like a, like a, a like social commentary about class. <laughs> like you know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm like, dude, hey, you're the one telling me now that it's all bullshit. <laughs> that like oh yeah no this is like while i was trying to find the deep meaning i was like oh man is this like a political comment now now i know it probably is i mean it's funny though just an ad lib yeah it just sounds funny um oh man what was i gonna say but you know sometimes he gets lazy like he does the whole like hallways of the world thing that he did and i like is yeah and kaput so that annoys me but um so we've talked about how like he wrote this on guitar, but it doesn't seem like it matters, especially since lots of the chords are like in like you know one four or four five six modalities, mm-hmm. where like it doesn't like yeah. it's just doing normal shit you would expect like an eighties new wave romantic like overly romantic song to kind of do. Mm-hmm. But one song that is both I think lyrically potent and you can tell was written on a guitar was uh, "Saw You at the Hospital." Yeah, which. The reason why the song is different is because it was the only song on the record that was actually written from like an autobiographical standpoint. Um, he got really sick in the hospital, or like he was in—I guess he was in Switzerland 
and um, he had like pneumonia, and he was just like trying to drink it away. <laughs> so he got <laughs> he got really that's sick. The, that's the Johnniest solution to that problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Alcohol yeah. will save me. Remember, Johnny is skeptical of Western medicine. We we established that <laughs> earlier in this, in this podcast. His uh, his physician, uh, Doctor Jack O'Danny, is. <laughs> love it yeah <laughs> but um anyway so he gets really sick and he uh he's in the hospital and so he started writing this song it's one of these great things that i love when you're in a situation but you want to you don't want to just write about yourself and so you recast a situation you've lived as like someone else um and then you're taking the standpoint of like what like like an observer spectate yeah so it's like he recasts this thing that happened to him as like somebody that i don't want to say he's in love with but there's definitely like romantic um overtones connotation yeah the romantic overtones in the song and um there's like yes i guess it's like it was written from sickness um like physical sickness but it, it there's such a like a bipolarity mental thing going on mm-hmm. with the music it's just like the you could see some of the word choice as lazy like he says insane i think three times in the song like mm-hmm. your mind was insane but the way it, it felt very real to like the um the way we talk mm-hmm. you know it's like oh like he he says like oh like he sees this girl at the hospital he's like oh your mind was insane and then he like sees her at a party later and he's like oh your eyes were insane which was like a way of sort of like um, it's using the simple repetitive language of like uh, ordinary speech uh, language. Yeah. yeah, ordinary speech to um, make connections that, you know, we don't necessarily make between like um, like how insanity could be like self-inflicted in ways or like still beyond us. Yeah. Um, and it's just it's it's like this bizarrely sympathetic song on a record where I don't think like there's a lot to grasp on in terms of um, personal relationships being developed mm-hmm. in any way. And he does it in this very just like sparse, repetitive, and then bizarre. There's like a time at the end of the song where he says like, uh, it's a scene, well, it says the amplifiers to the snow, which was like basically like just some crazy image he came up with while he was like looking out the hospital window as it was snowing, mm-hmm. which it, it which is sort of interesting because it's like... Um, when you're making music, hardly you're ever referring back to the process of you making music while you're telling a song. It's like the poetry, the lyrics of a song are completely divorced from the pretense of the song making itself. Yes. Um, so an image like that where one, it it's mm. inserting his musicianship or the, the music productional aspects into the song itself. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of also cluing you into the fact that it's, he's writing about himself but in this romantic way because the you know the song is being written for someone else even though there there isn't mm-hmm. another person which sort of adds to the bipolarity which is again like they do this productional trick at the end where as as the song's fading out with the choruses you watch them you watch them glow and it goes out the volume is being cut out and then it it yeah, peaks, it peaks right back, back up, up. Like yeah you yeah, got which totally is, I think bizarre it's, uh, yeah, yeah, which really I think crazy. I'm sure that was like uh, in in the studio. They probably like fucked up somewhere. I don't I mean it could be intentional or not, but I like that it was clearly kept. It was kept because like, I yeah, think, whether or not it was like an accident or not, like originally. Yeah, because the song yeah. starts off with like someone at the hospital, and then he 
Caesar at a hotel, like at a party, uh-huh. and like he could tell that like you know she's acting insane at this party but in a different way and that she's about to like maybe commit suicide or sort of the overtones here mm-hmm. and then it doesn't really happen and so when it seems like the song's cutting out when it comes back in it just kind of reminds you of this like constant struggle like you may these mm-hmm. things will just end neatly yeah well and it's um, and also about like stark changes right so when you're talking about like bipolarity right i think there's something to be said for like you know now we're reading into it but again this even if it was an accident originally it was kept on purpose right and right. the same way that you were talking about when you write songs and you like you know make up words you know just like you know, sing things off the cuff and you end up actually keeping things it's like you know a very organic way that uh that like creativity works in many ways right um mm-hmm. and i think that you're i i actually really like your analysis of this song because i think that there is something to be said for the um you know taking the observer role right and then that being related to um this you know insanity theme right which is also then housed in something very common like you know common speech patterns i think that you're onto something that 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 there's like a that that's a telling moment of the record only because it's Uh like um starkly more like uh, emotional than the other parts. The other parts, you know, almost sound inane in the lyrics sometimes, right? But this totally. it, this feels a little bit more deliberate um, in the way in the way that it all kind of plays out. And you know what's funny? You know, you're talking about like you know how the lyrics work, and that you know, oh yeah, he just kind of threw lyrics together. He wrote it on guitar. The thing is that what I found crazy about this record is that the actual so- when I say songwriting, I mean the song structuring. And the way that the overall orchestration works on the record can be really bizarre at times, right? So when you yeah. in, in Tinseltown Swimming in Blood, isn't that the one where there's that really strange change where the snare starts falling on one and three instead of two and four? Like there's like a cutout. Beat. It might be, I, that, but there that song definitely goes in weird places. Oh right, but yeah, I guess I'm getting at that. Like even if the lyrics sometimes, you know. Uh, are are like unrelated to some grander theme or they just seem kind of put together. I was actually pretty impressed by the creativity in the songwriting as in the structuring itself. Do you know what I mean? Oh, totally. I yeah. think that the sky's gray does that where it's like mm-hmm. there's a marked change, right? Yep. In uh, the middle of the song. Mm-hmm. I like thing. Yeah, I definitely, um, I think that's a good way to keep things fresh mm-hmm. for sure. Like you're saying, but um, I would, you know, the whole record did sound pretty monotonous in a way or like it you know it despite its structuring like and like really do like changing sounds um there i mean a lot of it did feel kind of it feels like yeah yeah but i guess that's why that uh i saw you at the hospital like when i was first listening to the record i like stopped when i heard that song i was like oh because it was just one yeah they just actually it they try different productional things. Mm-hmm. Um, even though it's not that complicated of a song structurally or anything, it was just like it, it stood out to me right away just for sh- slowing itself and quieting itself. Um, and that you can have different instruments or like different synth tones or, um, you know, change your guitar sounds. Um, but if you're not really playing with dynamics, yeah, um, there you do run a risk of sounding monotonous and um i just wish there were more uh songs like i saw you at the hospital that like at least gave us dynamical shifts for sure uh, or pauses um 
but overall it's still like good like mm-hmm. i've listened to it like five times now and i just wish there was a reason i don't know if there's a reason for me to keep coming back to it yeah um, i know what you mean it's not but, like it doesn't have the uh i don't think that there's like a whole lot to learn from this record i think it's a really good album and i really i really enjoyed listening to it you know the the two or three times that i did but it's not like i don't feel like it's like kaput where i'm going to keep coming back to it and finding something new every time or same thing with right. like poison season where the i think the 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 biggest failing of this album is like you said the monotony where there's not even with the differences in the structure of each individual song the overall like tone of the album the content of the album is mm-hmm. not varied enough for me to find it interesting as a whole piece like for, but like right. with lasting power i think you mean because the yeah, thing is yeah. that i think i'm gonna come back I, like uh i really like those first three songs right um yeah, sky's so gray in the morning the, the, and tinseltown swimming in blood are oh super, it's strong. super strong i really like those three songs um and i think that i think i would listen to those like um a number of times in the future only because i you know i get the i get the melody from tinseltown swimming in blood stuck in my head the um uh that little synth line that comes in in the bridges um and so like i think that those songs are really cool and i think i'll take you know i I would probably listen to them uh i might listen to them in a year you know what i mean but as as a whole yeah i I understand where you guys are coming from from the the lack of dynamic in the um in kind of like the tone and aesthetic of the record as a whole um but i actually i actually kind of took that to be an interesting production choice which is why i think it's so interesting that this is um the the record where he works with a producer because there's a really like what may seem like monotonous might have been like a failed attempt at consistency Mm -hmm. right um sure yeah and uh and so when i was listening to it the first time where you know it didn't like i I didn't think it felt monotonous i thought it felt like totally consistent right and i felt like there was like you know a um a permeating aesthetic that didn't get compromised at any point. I mean, that's that's certainly true. Yeah. yeah. And, and now the re, now the result of that was is actually that the record will not have all that much lasting power as a whole piece because yeah, it's not yeah. like you can jump all over it and like all the songs are different, right? Um, but so yeah, I think that it's like a fair critique. At the same time, I think that what that really is is just that they like that. I think that they got a little too into the idea of having the whole record sound like it's um taking place in the same uh theoretical space can i can i i want to kind of i love this idea of consistency versus monotony i kind of want to explore this a little outside of the record for a second that's fine yeah yeah i would yeah because this is a really interesting tangent so um i just read this piece by pauline kale about it's like trash art in the movies Mm -hmm. in which she talks about like she sort of like talks about what can be great about trash um, and how like, you know, it's it's really how we respond to things. Um, and when movies are being like often like art movies are being held to, um, you know, they're being like esteemed. Mm-hmm. A lot of times it's on like technical choices. It's not necessarily just <coughs> on affect. Um, and I guess her point was, is that like technicality doesn't actually lend anything to, like if you're just like gonna get stuck on like oh how like well shot this movie was or like the lighting or stuff there's like a sense in which you're not like actually judging it on its aesthetic merits you're judging it as like 
on its technical oh, and merits. Tec- on the technical piece. Yeah, yeah. That's actually, yeah, I totally uh, understand that point. And that's why I like a lot of really good-looking Hollywood movies. They're, like, so well-made, like, just so unbelievably well-made. Like, a Michael Bay movie is, like, from a technical level, so unbelievably <laughs> well-made, yeah, but sure. it's compl- it's worthless. Yeah. It's just, like, a worthless exercise. Um. So I guess I want to bring that kind of idea where it's, like, Sometimes we, especially I think if you're on an artistic side, you, like the idea of um, like your album having continuity of it um, having a kind of self-competence, mm-hmm. it's it's very coherent. It's something that you're like, oh, this is like something I should aspire to because that's an esteemed value. Yeah. Um, but I'm curious, like when people talk about, oh, it, it sounds coherent. Like, is that, do you, when you look, talk to normal, like, un, like uncritical people about music, are they ever like, oh, I just love this band so much because their album sounded so consistent. Like, I don't, I don't yeah, I've ever heard that before in my yeah. life. Yeah. Which is not to say that, like, we shouldn't have technical ambitions when, like, we sit down to make music, mm-hmm. but it seems like, especially, like, with a record like this, where, like, yes, like, you bring in a producer, like, the album sounds great. It just sounds great. Oh, I really, and also I got to sure. say, dude, I really liked the production the whole way through. I really love how the vocals take up so much space. That point I mentioned earlier was not a dig. You know what I mean? I think that oh, that was totally. really yeah. cool. It was really nice. Yeah, go on. But I, it seems as if like, a, like if this might be a good example of when you are like, this might be a good example to show how continuity just isn't like an aesthetic grab or it's it's like it's only made to be appreciated on a technical level for sure because it doesn't give me like i don't i'm not really pulled in by how consistent the record Mm -hmm. sounds although i'm very impressed by i know how difficult it is to do that yeah from a technical standpoint but i don't care Mm -hmm. like yeah that's not that's not like the the one song that strikes me in this record is the only inconsistent part and it's not because of its inconsistency but that was there was a part of that that made it stand out Mm -hmm. um which is not to say i think that like i was talking earlier about um how it introduced a dynamic and so i like that but i don't think um i think you can have a record like let's say um I know we talked about brand new before, but you I know, was like, literally uh, about to bring up yeah, this whole yeah, go uh, ahead, yeah, devil and God inside yep, me. I was like, right? say like, the that exact is, same thing. That, yes, that's an album with um, that's completely consistent and like at all levels of the dynamic spectrum. Exactly, you go from loud to soft and once, but it all sounds like they're made together. Yeah, um, and so in that way, it's like that dark broodingness of that album. Like the consistency does work, but it's it's clear that it, that it's almost just like a product of them, like writing these songs. No, that's also di- like the reason is because for- that album is almost perfect. I mean, you know, like, like yeah. in a serious way, like there is a, I know exactly what you're saying because that whole time you were going on, I was thinking the exact same example, right? Yeah. Because when you listen to that record, what's, what makes that record so good is that when we use the term like cohesive or coherent or consistent to refer to the devil and God raging inside me, that's like we're we're talking about like a grander thematic consistency, right? Because right. there are incredibly quiet songs, there are incredibly loud songs, right? And I, you know, I always like when we were kids, we always used to talk about how like um, that record is like hot and cold. It's like red and blue, right? And it transitions yeah. through that 
like you know there's fire and then there's ice and it like transitions through that the whole time and that's a comment on its own um you know a mental illness issue that it takes on right and so i think that there's like um i think that that's like consistency not only like working well but working to like its maximum effect right and so i yeah. think that when you i think that that's different than technical consistency in a certain way like if we're just talking about good mastering and good production right but sometimes like you know he's working with a producer those considerations will affect the actual output right not just like not just like superficially like in the mix it's also like when you're when you come in with just the guitar and you orchestrate the idea of having a record that's consistently all the way through right you do uh-huh. end up in the trap where it's very easy to make something boring, right? Because you just yeah. keep trying to like emulate the one good thing you did rather than taking on a kind of like grander consistency. So what I was actually – the other one that I wanted to bring up is when you go and you listen to Burial, right? You go and you listen to Burial Records and Burial EPs, yeah. okay? That stuff is incredibly consistent in its sound it's all taking place on the same like rainy london corner right it is all taking place at the same place right everything that he's done for like 15 years do you know what i mean right and we're and i mean we're also like you know burial in my opinion is one of the great electronic musicians it's i mean it is it's almost the it's pretty much like indisputable. It's indisputable. Yeah, I think it's uncontroversial because the other thing. Yeah, exactly. That's not a very controversial statement. Like you know, Nazis are bad. You know, like that. <laughs> Burial is good. Nazis are bad. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Yeah, exactly. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, but um, yeah, burial is great. And Nazis are bad. Two things nobody can dispute. But the thing is that, like, um, uh, when you listen to burial, that's like, okay, you know, so many great musicians can be emulated. What I think is so incredible about burial is that there's no there's no poser burials out there. Nobody else even tries to do that, right? Uh, that's really true, yeah. right? And I think that's actually a real real thing to be said. There's a lot of people who fake trying to be Aphex Twin, right? To like not much avail. I think I guess Aphex Twin is like one of the closer to burial that you can get. But like you know, yeah. other great musicians like you know <laughs> Nicholas <laughs> Jar and and James Blake have a million posers. That try and act to, that try and do that totally right? yeah but burial doesn't why because I don't even dude I've tried I have no idea how that guy does that so that consistency right that um uh truly like um it, it, the, that whole aesthetic seems so deliberate right and so I think that when you you know we can talk about the devil and God are raging inside me as being thematically consistent, but having like a varying dynamic and sonic sound and, and range. Right. Then you have burial who I think has like less of like a conceptual, um, uh, consistency because the songs can be so different from one another. You can do something ambient or something that's basically like a rave record or a dubstep record or a drum and bass record. Right. Now the thing is that, What's going on there is that he's just using, I think, what you're talking about in the sense of like a technical aesthetic consistency, but it's being used effectively. I don't think that burial ever gets monotonous, right? So bringing this back, the idea is I think that like, that's why I said that I think the Destroyer record may have been like an unsuccessful attempt at um, that kind of uh, grander 
um, uh, consistency, but the result is something that's actually kind of boring from a Sonic perspective, right? Um, and I think that's why it wasn't a like successful attempt at it. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I think that's valid. Yeah. yeah. Um, the one other thing is that if you are sonically consistent, it's easier to market. You know, that's very true. Realize, yeah, oh, because so yeah. there's a way in which like it could be successful outside of uh, outside just, like, of pure yeah. aesthetic judgment. Yeah, but, exactly. Um, the other thing is it's I, hard to like establish like an actual like a thematic consistency when the songwriting is so dense and like maybe even just inscrutable. Like I mean, so, there's I, not like you know the lyrical touchstones are just like phrases that are cool rather mm-hmm. than you know like uh like any anything that you can like look back on and 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 say like this record was about x oh yeah and i guess what yeah i understand what you're saying you're saying that like it makes it easier when it's about x exactly yeah Yeah. and and i think that that's i think that's a really good point because that's kind of like how creativity works in so many ways like um uh the you know that's why that's why like great filmmakers are really into painting because it's about like you see a scene and then you see like a two-hour film inside of just one painting that you saw right Mm -hmm. um and i think that that's I think that's like a very true statement about general creativity. So yeah, if you go in and you just want to make your record, all the songs sound the same, then what you're going to end up with is a record where all the songs sound the same. Do you, do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a very, that's a very Quavillian <laughs> statement, but like, you know exactly <laughs> what I mean. Greatest tautology of all time. Quavillian yeah. <laughs> sensibility See, is characterized by tautology. <laughs> Yeah, Johnny. Johnny's the one who invented that, which I, I took as like the greatest compliment. So Brittany says it to me. My girlfriend says that to me often. She's like, to put it in Quavillian terms. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh man, but yeah, I guess that's what I think about it. <laughs> I just wish there was more to go into uh, with you know the aboutness of the record, but when yeah, it, that doesn't, it just eventually kind of fails for me. I don't have a reason really to come back. But yeah, as like a songwriter, you're probably not learning a whole lot from from this record, like especially not from a lyrical perspective. Yeah, I think what's you know what Mark's saying about burial and electronic music is like once you've like you've made a conscious step to not include like any lyrical content. Yes. right. Your art, the viewer is already like aware of like the categories that you're operating, and so adjusts his expectations. Um, and so what i think what mark was saying about burial is like just because it like there's a register that's the same it's like you're not actually like you're already kind of not focused on that and you're working with the other material and see what's funny is that a lot of that is innovative okay go on yeah um but um if you're gonna like sit up if your voice is going to be so present in a mix, you're already introducing things that have like a quasi lyricality to them. Okay. Um, I'm expecting you to yeah, like, just use that you know, space. Make the effort, man. Yeah. Like the music is not good enough to, for me not to care about the lyrics is what it, it's not that inventive, mm-hmm. it does, you know, but it's like, it's completely moody and it's like, I'm expecting if you're going to use your voice to direct, like explore the lyricality of the moods that you're producing Mm-hmm. And um, I don't expect that from electronic musicians. I expect other uh, inventions. But yeah. I, I think when someone like goes out front and says that they're just going to be working unconsciously, they're going to have like an expressionist mindset when it comes to their phraseology. Yeah, I don't like that. Is like that's going to have to be 
like a lie in some way for me to ever appreciate like you know you could be like oh i didn't really work hard on these lyrics you know like i think um you gotta use your that words. was the case again yeah it's like kurt cobain they say that he wrote um you know smells like teen spirit just like jotting the words down but i have a hard time believing that because even though it does seem like expressionistic mm-hmm. like there's still phrases that like map on in very specific and unique ways to the um, subject that he was singing about. Well, then here's the so thing. Like- Absolutely. I totally understand. I, that's a that's a good example because here's one of the other things. I think that like, you know, he might have just been, he might have just written that song down. And then what we're doing is like, we're seeing that consistency because like Nirvana is thematically and sonically consistent, for example, right? Like, yeah. um, I think that like, if you're like comfortable with your particular aesthetic modality, right? I think that it is able, you are able to do like more unconscious creation, right? I mean, I've seen you, Johnny, like write songs very quickly, right? Um, which I think is very impressive. I mean, they're great songs, right? But like you wrote the lyrics for that song Cold War that we did in like, I don't know, 15 minutes, right? Um, <laughs> Probably like an hour, but. but no, oh, really? Were you thinking about it all the time? Because you, you, spent, you spent a bunch um, of time I, writing the guitar. I mean, part. like it, it drew a lot from. Uh, like it was like a political love song, yeah. right? Um, so I it, like I'd been mulling over a lot of those images for a while. But actually, what I did was I, I went through a magazine and tried to map on like um, some like political um, concepts yeah. onto like the advertising, like the romantic, like really impassioned advertising I was seeing, mm-hmm. and like trying to do something with like um, just sort of use the commercialization of that with like the anti oh my god this was like so much way yeah, so this was like so you really did deeply think about that and, and my impression that you just kind of wrote it is misplaced that's funny because well, it no, really but did, it's like i did, did I, write the words quickly, came out really quickly yeah yeah but um that and i also had some another like one of my friends i was thinking of his situation so there's there's a lot of times where you could be mulling over something mm-hmm. for a long time and then the words just kind of come out because you're like You've already been thinking about it, totally. but like obviously, when you sit down to write a song and you want it to rhyme and you want it to have good meter, um, you can get really lucky. Like I would say, I oh, that's really so wow! What a what a good way. Song. No, that's a good way of putting it, right? You can get really lucky with an idea, like, and it just kind of like yeah, yeah. Like I'm working on a song right now. I know all I want to say, like, but I have. It's just like impossible to like the way I have the phrases in my mind. It just will not fit the meter, oh and I keep God. trying to push it in and push it in and yeah. it's not working so at some point i'm gonna have to i already know i'm gonna have to abandon the thought i was going for <laughs> yeah the story new, of my life like, when i've really... ever tried to write lyrics that's why i let you handle this <laughs> like it's such yeah, a very frustrating feeling song. i know that feeling you you're holding in these in your mind like different constructions which is like why really i'm always drawn to amazing lyrical songs there's one just like on you know, just at the level of affect, like it can move you in ways because it draws, it's just like poetry, it just draws up mm-hmm. um, images. Yep. It uses your like imaginative capacities and then it, it really like asks you to involve your emotionality. And so you're exercising those emotions For sure. and do it really living in that fantasy that someone else is like with you on yeah. can be like a really like communal or like, you know, it could be very touching. Right, like, way. what's the what's the saying that like music is the art that moves your emotions the fastest, the quickest? I mean, I'm sorry, the the farthest, the quickest. Like the idea is like they did like you know oh, like, totally. neuro- neuroscience yeah. studies yeah. on it and like listening to 
even even non-lyrical music so lyrical music you have a more even more intense reaction but even if you're just listening to classical music the changes in your brain activity right into like your creative mind and like your presence in the piece happens much quicker than if you're like reading a poem or watching a movie or looking at a painting or something like that like music moves that moves oh, that totally. emotional meter the farthest the quickest and that's like there, you know that's like a science it does a lot thing. of work for you mm-hmm. i think yeah absolutely very true like, when it's real. quick yeah like if you're reading a poem like some of my favorite poems are just like they're difficult to read not it's not because i like them because they're difficult but because um I've had to like sit down and really like focus on it and really think through every line, right? Like yeah. uh, what's kind of cool about music is that one, it does a lot of that m- mood work for you because you're just sitting there listening. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't really have to focus and like quiet yourself as much. But um, I I take the stance where like lyrics ought to be like lyrics to pop songs are most effective when they're not asking too much out of the listener to like really sit down and really think about all the words. Like, yes, like the, there's music where like, I, I love that. It's like made me really like focus deeply For on sure. like what complicated images are being brought up. But a lot of times I want it to feel, I want it to like be, there's something very like, um, I don't want to say pedestrian, but almost like proletariat about music mm-hmm. and that it's like made for, um, especially pop music. It's made for people to enjoy. And um, I think you can complicate it in ways, but you're kind of missing the point if you're, like, getting way too... Like, music's kind of stupid. Not, um, yeah, well, I mean, it, like, particularly yeah, what, particularly like music famous. meant to be, like, meant to be listened to. Because obviously there's yeah. sound art, which is technically music, but that's very different than what you're talking about. I totally get it. Yeah. Yeah, so there should be a way in which... Um, this is what makes it difficult. Like, if I was just to sit down and write lyrics... Um, and I want to make them as complicated and difficult and like as opaque as possible. Like that's easy. And I did that for a while mm-hmm. because I just thought that, oh, it's like I have, it may be easy for me, but it's because I have this capacity. The I am very to smart approach to songwriting. <laughs> exactly. The I am very smart. Johnny approach. likes Rick and Morty. <laughs> I'm writing songs about Rick and, yes, I have a Rick and Morty tattoo. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I think what's been really um, the challenge that i'm imposing on myself now with songwriting is really to not like use my big words but to still try and make like very um like the images and the stories i'm telling one to be more storytelling mm-hmm. in um, the first yeah, place yeah people yeah. don't like tell stories like i mean good stories aren't told you know through like it's not indicative of jargon like... and yeah, oh, oh, they, oh yeah, totally, not, absolutely. Yeah. It's 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 cool to go there at times, I think, but like I I overdid it myself, and I see that like even if what you're not doing is like using big boy words, but like you're you're writing in ways that are just like way too opaque, like it, it, that they give you the 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 sense th- of yeah. like intellectualism, but you're actually not Getting doing anything it. very difficult. I'd I say that you have successfully. I, I I I'm gonna say that I think that like. You have successfully uh, mitigated some of that in yourself. Your your most recent songwriting is more accessible. You know what I mean? And I think that that's like a successful it's, yeah. thing. It's like easier to it's, – it's your lyrics are becoming uh, more coherent. I mean when I say coherent, you know what I mean? Like intelligible to like a listener. 
Totally. I, yeah, that was the advice I was given by people where it's like, I just don't really know what you're talking about, yeah, which at first I took as like a badge of like, oh, it's because I'm just too abstract and I'm thinking in ways you can't even comprehend. <laughs> but then you realize you're just a douchebag with a guitar. You're just a kid at the party singing bullshit. And oh, you're just you a second actually... year philosophy student. Please get out of my office. <laughs> <laughs> you're not even enrolled in this college, bro. Stay in your, lane, <laughs> Stay in your damn lane. <laughs> that's super funny but yeah i mean but, and, and so why don't we, we we can also this has been this is a great conversation but i think that like um uh, well i'm trying to wrap this back to destroyer exactly that, well like, then you bring that's it what he's doing yeah. and it's uninteresting to me where he's like it you know he's not using really big boy words but <laughs> as i'm calling them now <laughs> but, yeah but it's yeah it's just like uh big it's boy just words. i don't i don't i don't care what are you just talking about a city being dark and like rainy like I don't know what that song like. This what, is Dan like, Behar. Really, what are you doing? This is Dan Behar's Batman record. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> it's Batman as like a moody detective. Like I am uh, the Batman. <laughs> like, I'm I'm the Batman. I've Bums. been investigating Oliver Twist. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! But anyway, I think that's that sums up my views. I don't know about you guys. No, I think that I think we we got a good discussion, almost as good as the new Mercedes Benz E Class sedan. <laughs> <laughs> the Dota memes have emerged. Oh no! Oh All right, yeah, God. we gotta we're gonna we're gonna cut it off there. Um, so next, what are we doing next subject? Yeah, uh, next, the next subject, subject is gonna be. Yeah. I was gonna get there. Did you think oh, that man. I forgot? I was literally in the middle of saying the. Listen, word dude, next. I took the cue from no, Johnny. I'm, like blame him. Don't talk to me about it. <laughs> like no, it, it was really a wrong thing I did. So on <laughs> Wednesday, we're gonna be talking. Now I forgot we're gonna we're gonna be talking about uh, Catalonia or Catalonia. Cata, the Catalonia. Cat- yeah, the fucking Catalonia. We're talking about Spain. Catalonia or Catalonia, but yeah, Catalonia. It's Catalonia. Catalonia. If you say Barcelona, Barcelona. Like, yeah, Barcelona, Barcelona Catalonia. Yeah. If you exactly. say Catalonia, limoncello, Catalonia. like I enjoy anal sex, then you can say Catalonia. <laughs> a limoncello anyway, yes, for the lonely homosexual. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's funny they suffer so much. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's really hilarious. All right, guys. Until next week. Or next Wednesday. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, Suck me. (laughs) All right.